0: Before people can truly change behavior, they have to change belief. If you can change the negative stories you believe about yourself, you can change behavior which will change outcome. Stories are our lives in language. Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. I'm Lori Lee, and I'm excited for our future together of telling stories, evaluating our own stories, and lifting ourselves and others to greater places because of our control over our stories this podcast is about empowerment and giving you the listener ideas to work with and making your stories work for you power serves you best when you know how to use it today we have the pleasure and privilege of hearing from rusty lanquist a man with an amazing story and a life built sharing his strength and story to help others escape the gravitational pull of their own past stories, and the learned helplessness that those can bring. Rusty is the VP of HCM Strategy and Thought Leadership at Bamboo HR, where he focuses on helping organizations discover and increase employee value. He's also a writer and public speaker focused on human performance engineering, and he has one heck of a story. Rusty, welcome to the Love Your Story podcast.
1: Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: One of the things that we talk about on this podcast is how we have the power to choose our own perspectives and interpretations of our stories. To find empowerment and joy instead of letting them serve as roadblocks. And you have a striking story that I first heard on your TEDx talk. Can you share your story with us and what you've done with that story?
1: yeah i'd be happy to that that story really has become the foundation of my life and and I think that's that's sort of the core point uh to begin with is that we get the opportunity to choose how to interpret our story, whether we choose to see ourselves as victims of a story or whether we choose to interpret that story as something that gives us strength that is unique to us it 's really up to us so my story really begins when I was two years old my biological father developed schizophrenia late onset schizophrenia and he was just hearing voices and these voices were you know really leading him to do really peculiar things and when I was about two he had imagined that what he was supposed to do was uh, become the new prophet and in order to prove his worth and his qualification, he was to make a sacrifice, which was to be me. My mom didn't like this idea very much and she uh, she was able to get my, both myself and my sister, who was a couple years older than I, and literally ran out of the house. And we got in the car and we drove away and we lived in the car for for quite some time. We had literally nothing. We didn't have access to money. We didn't have access to a place to live. We just were literally running because he, feeling like God had asked him to do this, had you know was, was trying to find us. And so we spent the next many years uh, sort of on the run. We eventually found a trailer home to stay in. And we basically moved about every year to year and a half uh, from small town to small town. Uh, always inconspicuous, you know, small locations, just trying to stay under the radar and never allowing ourselves to really settle down. And during this time, of course, we really had next to nothing, except for that we had each other, which really, to me, was everything. As tough as times got, and, and there were very tough times. There were times when we had very little or nothing to eat. Uh, where I would have to steal food from neighbors' houses or construction sites. Um, I would grab workers' lunch boxes and, and take their sandwiches. You know, we just had each other, and we often didn't have running water, we didn't have electricity, and so that meant that I usually stunk, which meant when I would go to school in my old, ill-fitting, out-of-style clothes, I would be beat up and picked on and pushed down, and
0: and I never really had
1: friends. And I would usually sort of sneak my way home after school because I was trying to avoid being discovered because I knew what would happen if I was. But I would always come home and my mom would be there. And she was just my strength. She was incredible. She had a beautiful voice. She was a singer. Uh, That's how she earned her living. And she was a black belt in karate. You just did not mess with her. Uh, She just was amazing. We just always had each other, and that was really the only thing that I needed. And I sort of learned to live with not having much. There were times we lived in a tent. There were times when we ate worms, squirrels, just really whatever we could find. Even later, when we could no longer afford for my sister to stay with us, you know, my mom and I stayed together. And then one night, we were living in, we lived in the little trailer, camper trailer, in the backwoods of, of Montana. And one night, um, she would leave, because she was a singer, so she would leave and she would be gone for several days, a week or so at a time, and then she'd come back. And one night when she was supposed to come back, she didn't. And I remember those nights when she would come back, though, they were just so exciting, because we just, I loved her so much. And she was... I just looked forward to them. And I remember that night, you know, it was winter and I was huddled. We didn't have heat. So I was just huddled under a blanket and with my face pressed up against the, the cold window peering into the darkness and just waiting for the telltale signs of those headlights coming through the trees to indicate she'd come home. And I just waited and I waited and she didn't ever come. And so eventually my tears turned into tiredness and I fell asleep and I woke up the next morning and I thought that I would just make sure to play around the trailer that day because clearly she would be coming home, she was probably just running late for some reason. And so I waited that day and I waited the next day and I actually don't even remember how long I waited. One night though I was sleeping when I all of a sudden heard the, the crunch of tire tracks on the gravel. And this was not a neighborhood. This was just a trailer in the middle of the forest. So it was not like there were others that were around. And um, I looked out and it was a strange car, but my mom got out of the car and she had a brace around her neck. And it turns out that she had been in an accident and had broken her neck and had no way to contact me. We didn't have a phone, we didn't have electricity. But at this moment, life had really dealt her a bad blow and she would later explain to me that during this accident she had been she had been killed and that a wandering spirit had entered her body and that spirit was not my mother we packed all of our stuff into a bag a couple glad garbage bags i remember it was kind of funny and then we drove that night uh through the night to utah and she brought me to my grandma's house The next morning sort of sat me down in the living room and and told me that she was leaving. It was sort of the first time that my world just stopped because I, I didn't know how to process that. I didn't know we'd been through so much. She'd been married two other times, but three other times after that, each of those marriages were abusive, you know, angry, mean, drunk people It didn't just didn't go well. We had always just had each other and all of a sudden I had to face the prospect of a life without her. And I was 12 years old, it was just unthinkable. I remember when she got up and left, I just sort of shut down. And it kind of felt at that, you know, around that time and about the six months after where I realized that that it was real. That she wasn't actually coming back and I sort of had to come to grips with this new reality. I went to live with another family, and and that wasn't a very smooth thing either. And this was just a really hard time, and it really felt like life had just had it in for me. And I felt like it would it had thrown me down, and it was beating me up, and stamping on me, and just getting all kinds of pleasure out of watching me suffer. I developed uh, Tourette's at this time, and so that made it you know hard because then I was ridiculed at school and made fun of, and my family would make fun of me and and it just felt like you know what i was on a path that was going to lead nowhere and all of a sudden i realized something i re- and i it was it's strange when i look back because i was only 12 maybe 13 by the time this sort of realization hit me but i realized that i didn't have to be a victim and i didn't have to subscribe to this story that life had given me. I didn't have to simply ensure the continuation of this of this narrative. And and I thought about it like that. And I realized that I had the, the ability to either allow myself to be consumed by anger and pity and regret and loathing and of life and all of this negative energy, or I could choose to do something about it. And at that moment. Uh, I really started to make up my mind that I was going to be strong, that I was going to change my life, that I was going to allow, that what I actually had was that I had been given this incredible gift, this gift of a sequence of experiences that gave me an inner strength that nobody else I knew had. And I realized that the type of person I was able to be because of that story, because of that, those experiences, was something that other people lacked. And I started to see it as an asset and not as a liability. I started to recognize that this was the thing that was going to set me apart in life. It was going to be my foundation. And wow, what a tellable story. I've given just an incredibly high overview summary, and I have left out so many of the amazing and terrible things inside of it. But I recognized that it was an asset, and that was a real turning point for me.
0: I want to say first how phenomenal it is to have that breakthrough on your own as a 12-year-old. That says incredible things about who you are and your ability to start doing that at such a young age. So when your mom, you said that she had another spirit enter her body, did she come back to life and boot that spirit out? Or was she saying that the other spirit had sort of taken over her?
1: Well, you've unearthed the rest of the story, as Paul Hartman. <laughs> said. When I was about, it was maybe only three or four years ago, when all of a sudden I got a, an email from my cousin who had found my mom, and she's like, I have to come talk to you. And I said, well, I'm, I'm going to London on a business trip tomorrow, can it wait? And she's like, it can't wait. And she said, the whole story that you've been told your whole life about what your mother did, is not true and I said wait 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 <laughs> back up and she told me about how the story that she got from my mom was that actually she did say she was leaving but she was not leaving permanently she was leaving to go to Canada for a, uh, a singing gig that she had got and that she would be home in about a month and while I was gone I was taken basically because they thought that it would be best because life had been the way that it was. And they thought what would be best for me is to actually remove me from that situation and put me in a different situation. And so now I don't really know. I don't know what actually happened. I don't know if I was actually taken from my mother beyond without, you know, that's, that's her story. And, I, and it's very believable. And I listened to her tell it. And, and I think, wow, how awful her story is if that was true and so since then we've been in contact she now lives close we text almost every day i love her dearly she's an amazing woman uh incredibly strong and now i have a relationship with her and i just have realized that i don't actually care to excavate because i've gotten what i needed from the experiences and i don't care to find out who's responsible because it's not a liability it's an asset
0: Well, and you have done phenomenal things with that particular asset. You have built your life and career around lifting others and helping others to follow a path that you started on at such a young age. Can you share with us how you did that or what it looks like? You know, you work on a daily basis helping people to reframe their stories and to find empowerment instead of loss and bitterness. What are some Um, techniques that you teach and understand that we can gain from and how to reframe our stories.
1: I work now for this amazing company uh, called Bamboo HR. And in the what 20 some odd years I've been working, this is the, the single best company and people I have ever worked for without any exaggeration. And their mission is set people free to do great work. The idea that sort of lies at that core is that people are capable of greatness and organizations are capable of greatness, but sometimes we get held back. Sometimes we get stuck. I like to think of it uh, using the term in physics called escape velocity, which is what physics describes as the momentum and inertia and velocity that is needed for an object to leave the gravitational pull of the earth. It's a powerful analogy because I think each of us in our lives, in our careers, sometimes in our relationships, we get held back by the gravitational pull of lots of things. The gravitational pull of our past, the gravitational pull of our beliefs, the gravitational pull of our our peers, sometimes family, sometimes our environment. It's really up to each of us to escape that gravitational pull and achieve greatness. And sometimes people need a little help. Sometimes people need. A catalyst, someone who recognizes in them something that they don't recognize in themselves. Behavioral psychologists have studied if you want to lastingly change results, your instinct is to focus on behaviors, but a focus on behaviors actually only yields a short-term impact to results. If you really want to change results, you have to change thoughts and beliefs. Because it's our thoughts and beliefs that inevitably give rise to our behaviors. And it's our behaviors that create our results. And if you change the way someone thinks about themselves, the way they, what they believe about themselves, what, the way they think about their future, then their behaviors will follow suit and the results will follow and then the results will reinforce those thoughts and beliefs. Mostly what I do now is help people and organizations change the way they think. The way they think about people, the way they think about what they're capable of, the way they think about their past. It's what you so often talk about in your podcast, this reframe. I help people reframe because that is the pivotal moment. Without that reframe, you lack the foundation that you need in order to launch and reach that escape velocity. The reframe comes first. You have to change your thoughts and beliefs before anything else.
0: How do you do that if you could give us one tip on how you encourage people to be able to find that reframe
1: there's some, some research that was done a while back that's sort of famous now which is that if you put fleas in a box and you close the lid on that box you'll hear the thump 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 thump, thump as the fleas try to jump out and they hit their head on the top of that box all of a sudden you'll stop hearing any sound and at that point you can open the box and the fleas will never jump out because they've learned that they can't. Often I see this is where people are in their lives. They've tried. Most people, it's not that they haven't tried, it's that they have tried and that they haven't succeeded. The things that they, the the first things that they need to do is to first recognize that they're actually not stuck. That what they're suffering from is something called learned helplessness it's self-imposed limitations that the limitations they're suffering from are untrue they're lies they're just a story that we've told ourselves we can't do it i'm not strong enough i'm not good enough i don't know enough you know i'm not capable it's a story and the first thing that they have to do is recognize those lies that's number one the moment you recognize that you can actually jump out of the box you gain the emotional energy necessary to keep trying. Once you have gained that emotional energy by by recognizing the artificial limitations that are holding you back, then it's a matter of study. It's learning the elements that lead to success. It's going to work. Listen, reaching escape velocity is all about thrust and it's about hard work. Most people simply lack the energy to invest themselves in the work necessary to escape the gravitational pull of their past because they are, they believe they can. So number one, you have to believe you can.
0: I love that, absolutely love it because I agree wholeheartedly. And once they believe, you're talking about this sort of apathy or not having the energy to actually do the work required, do you have any suggestions how to gain that momentum to kind of push you into that work and keep going?
1: so many so i'm actually working on a a book right now that captures all of this that's called escape velocity that details sort of the elements that you need uh, to maintain thrust to help you recover from stalls but if i were to answer your question i think the place where most people fail is we will have in our lives moments that i call launch events something will happen and we will say we've had enough Behavioral psychology, they call that the crystallization of discontent, this psychological, emotional moment where we are fed up and something happens and we decide we are going to change. And at that moment, we actually engage our limbic brain. We actually engage this powerful emotional drive, this energy, this thrust that like a a rocket, it's like the booster rockets and it gets us off the ground. That happens naturally in life. And it can be catalyzed by others. I think this podcast is actually one of those catalytic instruments that can help people catalyze that that launch event. But then what happens is all of a sudden that energy exhausts itself. Those booster rockets inevitably run out of fuel and in the lack of a of an alternative fuel supply, the rocket just falls back to earth. And that's Why so many people have decided that they should no longer try. They've tried to get out of that box. They've they've launched and failed and launched and failed. The thing that you have to install in your life is a secondary fuel supply. You've got to be able to, in that moment, in that period of time, whatever that is, it could be a week, it could be a month, it could be a day, in that time when you have maximum energy, you have to figure out what motivates you. And you have to build that fuel supply up because you will need to tap into those reserves. So for me, I've got inspirational quotes that I draw from. I've got videos that I have found that inspire me. It is natural to run out of energy. It is natural to get exhausted from our efforts. And in those moments, in the absence of something else that you can draw from to refuel, you will simply crash. And most people fail at supplying themselves with this refueling. And that's really, Lori, why I think this podcast that you do is so critical because it acts as a refueling supply for people who, in that moment of where they have exhausted their initial inertia and that emotional energy of that launch event, they can come back and they can remind themselves, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it. And you need those things to change.
0: Thank you so much, because that's one of the hopes behind it, behind the effort, is that it will be that force for good for people. I want to ask you about some of the work that you do with your company. So you work for a company that helps corporations understand story on a larger level. What can you
1: tell us about that? Oh my gosh, it's so exciting. This company I work for, Bamboo HR, is just a phenomenal company. They build tools for HR. So they have a what's called an HRIS, which is a human resource information system. It's basically the employee record. It's, it's how you track everything about the employee. And then we have a performance management software that allows us to help measure and manage and keep our finger on the pulse of, of employee uh, engagement and performance. Um, And then on top of that, we really teach people, we teach our customers, and we teach the market how to unleash employee value. And story plays a huge role in that. Organizations today have come to realize the impact and importance of culture. In any system, if you want to improve the outputs of that system, you have to improve the inputs. So for an organization to improve its outputs, it has to improve its inputs, and that's people and culture. In a personal system in my life if i want to improve the outputs of my life i have to improve the inputs exercise knowledge study inspiration in any system when you want to improve the outputs you have to improve the inputs and so organizations are waking up to this and realizing that culture matters and culture is just story we live today In the age of the socialization of everything everything we do is part of this grand story we tell ourselves and we tell the world through our social channels and when an organization has a weak story or fails to connect emotionally to its employees then the employees you're not part of that story and your employees aren't going to be engaged with you so leading organizations are realizing that we want to have a cause we want to have a purpose we want to have a culture that is That that fosters engagement and and relationships and fun and and is healthy so that we become part of our employees' story. Because once you, as an organization, become a part of your employees' personal story, you get magic. And without that, you don't have that magic. You know,
0: in research that I had been reading lately, particularly with the new generation coming up, those kids, those young adults that are graduating from college and deciding where they want to work and who they want to work for, they're not looking just for the money. They're also looking for the culture. They're looking for companies that have strong stories that they can buy into, that they can be a part of, that can be motivating and make a difference in the world and, you know, environmentally in tune and just in tune with the things that they can get behind. So I think more than ever now, that becomes super applicable because people care and they, They want their work life to stand for and have value in the things that they believe in and for the company to respond back and buy into them in the same way. You have a really close tie there.
1: You're absolutely correct. There's lots of research that shows particularly the millennial generation cares less about money and more about purpose more about career path and more about flexibility and purpose really matters. It's funny, there was a, an experiment that was done a little bit ago where they brought some people in and they hand, gave them shovels, some workers, and they gave them shovels and they asked them to dig a ditch. And they paid them normal wage. At the middle of the day, they said, okay, thank you for digging this ditch, now fill it in. And so the workers were like, well, why? And they're like, that's not your business. You're just being paid to work. So fill the, fill the ditch in. So they did it. At the end of the day, the manager came and he told all the workers, he says, if you'll come back tomorrow and do the same thing, I'll pay you double what I paid you today. Only half the people came back the next day. <laughs> so then the next day, they repeated the same thing. They dug a ditch the first part of the day. Last part of the day, they filled it in. The manager came back and says, if you come back tomorrow and do the same thing, I will pay you double what you earned today, which is now four times what the average wage is. The next day, only a couple people returned, which demonstrates it's not about money. We have to find meaning in story, in life, in purpose, in what we do, and and it's this pursuit of meaning that that really is what we supply by having a story, by having a purpose.
0: Well said, and I think that's in our own lives, too, you know, just in the everyday life as well as in our work lives, that meaning, that story that we build about our lives, what we're doing, finding purpose for our lives, all of that becomes super critical. I'm excited to read your book. When's it going to be out?
1: Well, we are working on right now with a publisher and uh, we're um, shooting for the end of this year. Excellent. So it'll be on the shelves. We can buy it at the end of this year. Will, that's my hope. It will be on the shelves, hopefully by the end of this year.
0: Awesome. So Escape Velocity by Rusty Linquist. That's right. Thank you. It has been a pleasure having you on the show today. Do you have any parting words that you would like to leave for the listeners?
1: I would just say and sort of conclude with this. In some way, each of us, are in that proverbial box in some way it could be in a relationship it could be in your career it could be broader in your life in some way each of us at some point finds ourselves in a box stuck within walls of self-imposed limitations I would just extend the invitation to get out of your box get out of your box and recognize that you are capable of far more than where you are today No matter where you are today, and it could be that you are somewhere great, no matter where you are today, you are still capable of far more. And if you know someone else who is suffering from the same circumstances, you go up to them and you say, get out of your box, and then tell them the story. Because other people need us to invite them out of their box in the same way that we need invitations occasionally to get out of our own.
0: Thank you so much, Rusty. Everything you've said today have been great words of wisdom, and we are walking the same path together, you and I teaching very similar things. Thanks for your time. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Self-imposed limitations, which we know are the stories that we tell ourselves. These are the first beliefs that need to change in order to change our behavior, which in turn will change our output. Get out of your box and see what you are capable of see how much more you have in you and your challenge this week is to keep working on weeding out the negative stories that you believe about yourself and your past reframe just one of those this week sometimes it just takes one at a time and pretty soon you're there and you've reframed a whole past into something beautiful i'll see you next week on the love your story podcast And don't forget to sign up for the weekly thought on the website. Go to www.loveyourstorypodcast.com. Thanks, and we'll see you then.